doing that. Then we had a relaxing afternoon. Everybody, I was looking forward to visiting with folks, and they all went to bed and went to sleep. <laughs> so I returned the favor. I slept on the couch, too. So Marv read her book, and uh, we made it all right. Oh, it was a good time. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, and I kind of kept the theme today of trouble. <laughs> And uh, I'm not sure why the Holy Spirit led me to do that, but uh, we talked in the Sunday School Hour about 12 crises, cascading crises, the president called the first six, that are troubling the United States. Uh, I am hopeful the Republicans will take control of the Senate and the House of Representatives, and a miracle could take place and they take control of the legislature, but our hope is not in a party. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's on the throne, and so we can rejoice. Whatever the outcome of the election, I'm afraid, I pray for mercy. I do not want us to get what we deserve. So I pray for mercy on the United States. And God has been merciful, and we're thankful for that. But how long he will be merciful is a question. But uh, that was the Sunday School Hour. And then this morning we looked at the ending of the message from the upper room and the, on the road to... Uh, Gethsemane, as Jesus talked with his disciples, these things have I written unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So you and I, as we face life, should be cheerful. We should not be dour people. Uh, we should not be always looking down. Some Christians, you know, look like they've been sucking on a sour lemon. We ought to, we ought to have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord should not be dependent on our circumstance. The joy of the Lord is because we're saved, because we know Christ is our Savior, and we have a home in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and we have a confidence or hope about the future. We've read the last chapter in the book, and we win. Christ is coming back, and he'll straighten the whole thing out. The grave could not keep him. He rose from the dead the third day, and he's coming again, and we serve a risen Savior. So those are all things that would help us get through difficult times. Now, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul describes a time when God said no. I don't like to hear the word no. Uh, it's one of the first words you have to teach a child uh, because once they start moving around and able to do it, you know, when they come home, they're kind of a blob. They just kind of sleep and, and fill their diapers and, you know, that's about it, cry. But as they get a little older, that sinful nature shows up real quick, and they will disobey you. you know, the, the things you have to tell them. Uh, they'll reach out to touch something that's hot, and you have to tell them, no! Or they'll do other things. Now, one of the first things a kid will learn is, you know, mom gives birth, nurses, takes care of, gets in the middle, up in the middle of the night, and the first words the kids say are, dad, dad, you know. That's just kind of the way it is, but one of, the, one of the early words that every child learns is mine. Yeah, if you don't believe that, go back in the toddler room and, and watch kids play. One kid picks up a, play, a toy, everybody wants it, and they all say, mine. But no is that negative word that we don't like to hear. Uh, let's read the passage, and then uh, we'll comment on it. Um, the Apostle Paul says, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory when it comes to vision and revelations of the Lord. 
I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. I can't, God knoweth, such a one is caught up into the third heaven. He's talking about the very presence of God. And he's talking about himself. He makes this kind of a third person, but he's talking about himself. He's talking about the revelations he received. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So here was a man who was able to communicate and give us a good portion of the Word of God. And he, he says, I once, about 14 years ago, was caught up to heaven. Now, this may have been when he was stoned at Derby and Lystra. Uh, he was thought to be dead, and maybe he was. Maybe he actually was transported to heaven. In any event, God did resurrect him. He brought him back. He said, I knew him as such a man, uh, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. So even Paul didn't know whether it actually happened or he just saw it, uh, just imagined it. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which are not lawful for man to utter. That's a curious thing. What, what in the world did you hear? We don't know. There's certain things God just doesn't tell us. Um, we're here in Revelation, for instance. Uh, we, there are words that we can't know, our name that no man can know. Those are things that God has not revealed to us. Of such a one I will glory, yet I, not by myself I will not glory, but my, uh, infer, in my infer, well, glory, but in my infirmities. Now, how in the world are you going to glory in your infirmities? How are, you, how are you going to do that, Paul? Now, if I were Paul, I would have a lot of questions for the Lord. He describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, some of the things he went through. Beatings, uh, shipwrecked three times. Now, Lord, I'm on your mission. I'm going from point A to point B. Can't you at least keep the ship floating? I think Paul would have, day and a night I was in the deep. Couldn't you send the rescue ship a little earlier? What, why, why do this? Why was all this happening? And, and it is a question that I think all of us ask sometimes. Why are things happening to us? Why are bad things happening to us? So then he goes on to say, verse 6, Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be, be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which... Uh, he seeth in me to be, or he heareth. And, lest, and here we get the text. Lest I be exalted among measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may abide, rest in me. So Paul said he had something come into his life that he describes as a thorn in the flesh. We are not told what it was. Now, some preachers in tongue-in-cheek have said it's his, his wife. Others said, no, it was a mother-in-law. Now, that, I would never say either of those things, but some people might say that. We don't know. I think it was something very painful. He describes it as like a thorn. We do know that Paul had a problem with vision. I'm thankful for glasses. I'm going to have cataract surgery, and I hope to get rid of them, and I'll be even more thankful for that. But even if I don't, I'm thankful I can see some. 
Paul didn't have glasses back in the first century. And he had a vision problem. Apparently, he tells the Galatians, you see how large a letter I've written to you in my own hand. He usually had a penman that would write for him. He'd dictate, and the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say, and he would dictate it to a, a, a stenographer, like a stenographer. He would write it out and, and spell it out. So it was, usually he would just sign his name at the end of his epistles. Uh, so he probably had a vision, that, and he was a tent maker. Now, a tent maker, that involves sewing. And sewing thick material and not being able to see well would be a thorn in the flesh. Literally, it'd be a needle in the flesh because you'd, you know, it's going to be a problem. Some Bible scholars uh, think that he had malaria. Now, malaria is a disease. Once you get it, you'll always have it, and it flares up at times. Some say or speculate that it was uh, epilepsy. Epilepsies uh, would be very embarrassing because he would go into a seizure. So here he is preaching away and goes, and if pastor got up to preach next, or a couple weeks when he's back and went into an epileptic seizure, that would be a rather strange thing. That would be embarrassing for him. And I had a very embarrassing uh, experience a few, a uh, couple months ago. I was at the pastor's fellowship in Watertown. We stopped in Oswego for supper, and I had uh, Mexican food which I enjoy and love. I pretty much love all kinds of food, but Mexican's really special and Chinese. We, uh, it didn't set well. All through the service, my stomach was rumbling. And right after, uh, when they, after they gave the invitation, I went right to the bathroom and, boy, object. Now, I'm going to stay in somebody's house. The pastor had arranged for us to stay with a single woman. Barb and I were going to stay in her house. So I, I thought, well, I got rid of it, whatever it was, I, I got rid of it. And I went back to the fellowship hall and we're sitting, visiting with some people. And all of a sudden, I got to go again. I ran to the bathroom and ugh, there it goes all over again. And this time, I, you know, I was checking to make sure I hadn't thrown up any toenails because it was coming all the way up. And I came out. I did not want to go to this lady's house sick. But, you know, we... I checked out motels. It was $200 a night. I'm a preacher. I'm cheap. I had $200 for a night just to sleep. And I said, Barb, maybe we ought to drive home. She said, no, you're not driving home. You're supposed to preach tomorrow morning. So, uh, and the woman says, oh, it's okay. It's fine. You know, but I'm, I'm just, you know, humiliated. And we got to her house. I had a plastic bag, walked right over to her couch and right in front of her and Barb, I'm up checking again. And ugh, you know, epilepsy, that could be bad. Malaria could be bad. We're simply not told what it is. And maybe the Holy Spirit did that on purpose. So whatever your thorn in the flesh might be, you could take comfort from the passage of Scripture. So whatever it is, whatever it was, um, you know, we all have those things that, you know, get us. So Paul tells us he prayed thrice, thrice, three times. Now, his petition, apparently the prayer, apparently was very, very sincere. The problem was the thorn, and he prayed very sincerely. Now, would you agree with me the Apostle Paul is probably the greatest Christian that ever lived? Certainly one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest missionaries. It's estimated that he established more than 100 churches in his lifetime. Tens of thousands of people were probably saved through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Through the scriptures that he gave us, thousands are saved. How many people have been saved just by reading Acts 16, 
uh, 31, Sirs, what by, 30, what, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, that was Paul that said that. And certainly a godly man. And God said, no, no. Now, why? Well, problems come into our life for basically several, well, there's several reasons why they come. Sometimes it's our choices. You suffer bad consequences because you made a dumb choice. And sometimes it's the dumb choices of others. The Apostle Paul got on a ship to go to Rome. He was forewarned by an angel that the ship would go down. He told the captain. The captain said, I'm going to go anyway. And sure enough, the ship went down. So it was a choice of somebody else. Paul didn't make that decision. Sometimes you and I are, are victim of circumstances. Wrong place, the wrong time. Jesus talked about some men that were killed in Galilee when a tower fell. Uh, they were in the wrong place, the wrong time. Those are all things that happen. But God has a purpose for everything that he does or allows in our life. The promise of Romans 8.28, we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Those are called according to his purpose. So everything that comes into our life has a purpose, and that purpose is to help us become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's in verse 29. So everything that happens in our life, God will turn it around for good. It doesn't mean everything that happens in our life is good. There are bad things that can happen to us. A thorn in the flesh was a bad thing. It's described as a messenger of Satan. That's a bad thing. Satan himself takes note of you and attacks you. That's a bad thing. But God allowed it for a reason. Now, one of the reasons bad things happen to us is punishment. You disobey God and he will punish you. It's very simple. God is a good father and he chastens his children. If you're disobedient as a child of God, you cannot continue to live in sin without the chastening of God. Now, if there is no chastening, the author of Hebrews says that maybe you're not legitimate. Maybe you're not a really a child of God. So the first reason bad things happen to us sometimes is God has to give us a swat on the bottom to straighten us out. Sometimes it's to purify us. That's in Malachi chapter 4, where it's, we're described as being like silver that is refined. The, the smelter heats up the silver until it melts, and then he skims off. The, the, the impurities come to the surface, and he skims it off. Someone asked the person, how do you know when it's, when it's pure? He said, when I can see my reflection in it, in it on the surface. And our Lord, as he works in our life, is refining us, he's purifying us. It's a part of his work. And how will he know when he's finished? Well, he sees the image, his own image in us. Then sometimes God has to push us. And those are hard times when we get comfortable and God does something. We lose a job or a transfer or something happens and God pushes us into an area that is uncomfortable. Last year, Barb was part of a Bible study and Barb loves teaching children. And they asked her to take over the Bible study. She's not in her comfort zone. And so she works all week. She starts on, on Saturday for this Bible study on Friday. <laughs> she works all week long getting ready. Everything's got to be just right. I end up asking, answering questions and some of those things. But she she's, was pushed a little bit, just a, just a little nudge. Sometimes God gives us that little nudge. 
sometimes it's a big nudge as well. Sometimes it's to prepare us for something's coming down the road. Uh, David slew a lion and a bear before he took on a giant. He gained that experience first. And God sometimes brings things into our life. We have victories, so that gives us confidence toward the next battle that comes. And battles will come again and again, and we need that. Sometimes uh, that preparation has to do with promotion. God will promote us to glory. When you die, if the Lord tarries, all of us will die. It's appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Dying is not an easy thing. Now, some people die in their sleep. My grandfather did. My grandfather, Woodruff, my mother's father, he died in his sleep. My mother died, I sold just seven years ago yesterday. She, we, I was there. I traveled from New York to Michigan to be by her side. And she was really, uh, you know, she just was sleeping. And we were talking, the family was talking, and my uncle her brother gave, made something funny, and we all laughed. And as we laughed, we realized Mom was gone. last thing she may have heard was our laughter. I kind of feel guilty about that, but, you know, she liked to laugh. and She probably would have laughed at my uncle as well. Well, death is not an easy thing. I've done this for a number of years, and I added one as I studied for this message today. Sometimes it's to produce something in us. Turn back to to chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 deals with the, the basis of salvation. First of all, the benefits, and then the basis in chapter the 5. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have, re- have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we glory in tribulation. There it is, glory in tribulation. How do you do that? Knowing that the, that the tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. So God has some things he wants to produce in your life, and the only way you can get that is through trials. It's all, the only way you can learn patience. Now, some of us kind of wonder, well, I, do, or I really want to be patient. Paul says, you know, I want God's work to work in me. And you do want to have hope at the end. So, tribulation worketh patience, patience experience. I've won that battle. How many of you have been helped by somebody who went through the same surgery you're about to have? <laughs> you know, somebody comes up and tells you. Now, I mentioned cataract surgery. If you have a bad story, don't tell me. Okay. Don't tell me. Don't let me know. But, you know, that experience, you know, you, the people who have beat cancer have an experience that they can share with other victories that you've won. That's part of your testimony. There's no testimony without test. That's the bottom line. You wouldn't have a testimony at all if God hadn't put you through some tests, some difficulties. And then patience work, uh, uh, patience work of experience, experience Hope, hope maketh not ashamed. We are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the issue in front of Paul was preventative. God knew that if he didn't do something in Paul's life, he would get a big head. He would not be able to handle it. Now, the last one, the seventh cause of problems coming in our life, I use the word puzzle because... 
I think sometimes God just wants us to trust him even when we don't understand. That was Job. Job's experience was not that it was explained. It wasn't that he had done something bad being punished. It wasn't really even being purified. It wasn't, you know, any of the other things. It was simply that God said, I want you to trust me. Trust me even when you don't understand. For Paul, it was preventative. Troubles come in your life. Now, I mentioned my horrible experience at Watertown. I did preach the next day, and I did get over it. It passed. But, you know, it was a humiliating. What does that do? That helps keep you humble. If you've had the flu, there's nothing more humbling than a little germ can knock you down. You think you're big and strong? God says, here, <laughs> handle this. And, you know, it's... Paul says, I was given this thorn in the flesh to buffet me. Now, the word buffet has the idea of beating up, being beat up by whatever this thing was. And so Paul says, I prayed. And God said, no. When you pray, there are four possibilities. God will do what you said. I like that one the best. God will deny what you asked or requested. God just simply says, no, no, not going to do that. When uh, Barb and I were teenagers, we wanted to go to the zoo, Detroit Zoo, with a couple, another couple. We were just young teenagers. And Barb's dad, we had to ask permission for, of her dad to do anything. And we asked, and he simply said, no. Well, why not? And he said what every teenager hates. Because I told you so. No. Now, years later, we have a better perspective. He, he was concerned about the conduct of this other couple and did not want us to follow in their pathway. When our kids were growing up, our middle daughter had a friend in church that was a bad influence. And she wanted to do some things with her, and we said, no, why not? Well, because we said so. So we end up doing the very thing that we hated as teenagers, and you probably have done that too. You simply sometimes have to say no. And the rationale on that is you're going to have to trust me. That's what God says sometimes. Just trust me. When God says no, it may be he has something else in mind. So the third possibility is he answers, but he does it differently than you expected. And then the last one is sometimes God simply delays. God will answer that prayer, but not today. Maybe not tomorrow. I just recently heard of a man that was saved in one of our Baptist churches that his wife had been praying for for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time to wait for an answer to prayer. But think of her faith and how it was encouraged and the, and the encouragement that was to that church when that man came to Christ. Well, there is an answer and the answer is different than what Paul expected. My grace is sufficient for thee. And that's a promise that all of us can claim. Whatever life throws at it, whatever God allows in our life, God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. The Apostle Peter refers to manifold grace of God. There is grace for every need. There's a song that when I was in college, Bible college, used to bother me. The song is, Are You Able? Are You Able? 
Uh, and the, the question is, are you able to serve God? Are you willing to die for God? And yes, we are able is the answer. And I always thought, boy, am I really able to do that? If it came to dying for Christ, would I really be able to do that? Well, I don't think you can know ahead of time because God gives you the grace you need when you need it. Not ahead of time. The manifold grace of God is sufficient for thee. Now, it's sufficient for salvation. We know that. It's sufficient for satisfaction as well, that he will meet our need. So Paul says, most gladly there, will I bear my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest in me. What's the most important thing in your life? Well, it should be to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to know, experience God's power. And he couldn't have it without the thorn. God brings things into your life to give you the right perspective. He's God, you're not. To give you power to proclaim the word of God and see God work in hearts and lives. We are servants of God. The Apostle Paul learned to accept the word no. Have you? Have I? I told you I don't like to hear the word no. I really don't. When I call and ask the pastor for a meeting and he says no, I don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear no in other areas of my life as well. But you know, unless we hear the word no, sometimes we never appreciate the yeses of life. 2000 or 1999, December 1999 was the darkest time in my life. I was asked to resign from the church that I had served for 13 years. It was a tough day, to say the least, a tough time. The hardest thing I ever did in my life is to walk across the parking lot to our parsonage and tell Barb they don't want us anymore. One of my friends sent me a text. His name was Maynard Belt. Maynard was promoted to glory last Sunday, September 11th. He was 81 years old, a great man of God. Last year at our pastor's fellowship, I gave a book written by him about finding God in time of trouble. He, uh, he wrote this to me. Andrew Murray, who lived 1826 to 1917, wrote these words during a severe trial in his life. First, he brought me, brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me the grace to believe as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn, working in me the grace that he means to bestow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. Let me say, then, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his timing, for his time. And then my friend wrote this to me as a personal message. God goes deeper than our deepest valley, is larger than our largest trial, brings to light our darkened hours, and always is at our best when we are at our lowest. Stay in the word, search the word, guard your heart, trust in the days ahead as you have in the past. God may be up to something 
that you would have never thought. There is no storm that God will not carry you through. No bridge that God will not help you cross. No battle that God will not help you win. Therefore, trust God and never give up. Well, my friend is promoted to glory. I talked with him just two weeks ago. And again, he encouraged me. He was a Barnabas in my life. A man who just kind of came along and encouraged me. And you know, that's part of what my ministry of Arise is about. That's really what I want to do is be a Barnabas to pastors, to be a friend, to help them, encourage them. And I hope I've encouraged you today. You may be facing a thorn in the flesh, something that you don't like and it hurts. Your God's grace is sufficient for you. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. Keep trusting God, even when you don't understand. Father, thank you for your word and the encouragement of it. Thank you for the example of Paul. Lord, it was hard on him, but it was a blessing to us to read his experience. If Paul can have God say no to his prayers, and certainly we can have God say no to ours. And yet when you say no, Lord, it's because you have something better in mind. And we thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for this church, Pastor. We pray, God, that you'd lay your hand upon him. Guide the surgeon's hands tomorrow. We pray that surgery would go well. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd raise him up very quickly after his surgery. In Jesus' name, amen.